Heidi, do you feel it? Feel what, Jane? The crisp feel to the air. It's fall, y'all. And I don't know about you, but fall to me always feels like a rebirth, a time to reset, realign, and reignite my body. So I'm thrilled that we've discovered Chroma Wellness. Yes, Chroma Wellness is a premium functional health and superfood company that offers adaptogens, super lattes, elixirs, plant-based smoothie blends, superfood snacks, and teas, as well as their hero product, their five-day whole body reset, which is a revolutionizing way people think about cleansing and detoxing. Yep, I ordered the five-day whole body reset and swooned when the box came. It's gorgeous. I lifted the lid to find a circular display of softly rainbow-hued packets containing my breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, and dinner, all pre-made for me for on-the-go ease. It was truly an all-in-one kit, too. It even came with a frother and a thermos. There's just nothing they didn't think of. Right? And you can buy these fabulous products as a one-day or five-day kit, or purchase the products individually to be enjoyed on your own schedule. Either way, Chroma believes in the power of food as medicine and that Mother Nature is our greatest resource to naturally fuel our mind, body, and soul. Want to check out their line of nutrient-dense, ethically sourced functional foods and beverages yourself? Head on over to chromawellness.com. That's K-R-O-M-A wellness.com and use the code OFFTHEGRAM20 for 20% off at checkout. There's never been more wellness in the world. It continues to grow at like 5% a year. But when you look at all of the tangible metrics on how we're doing as a society, whether it's mental health, whether it's physical health, clearly something's getting wrong with all of this good intentions. And we just want to refocus on the things that are going to move the needle and help people cultivate a life of greater joy and, and greater health. Welcome back to an all-new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner... (laughs) (laughs) Keep going, Jane. Come on, girl boss. That's total girl boss vibes. Channel your inner girl boss and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. We've got this, Heidi. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder, mom. Jane, I don't need you to do better. You're perfect exactly the way you are, okay? Bless you. you. (laughs) And I think our guests are going to talk about that today, actually. I am so excited to welcome two very special guests who are revolutionizing the concept of what it means to be well. And I'm sure they will say enough. You are good enough, Jane. (laughs) These two guests are Jason and Colleen Wachub. They are the co-founders and co-CEOs at Mind Body Green, a leading independent media brand dedicated to well-being with 15 million monthly unique visitors. Jason is also the host of the popular Mind Body Green podcast and the best-selling author of Wealth, How I Learned to Build a Life, Not a Resume. He has been featured in the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Forbes, Fast Company, Business Insider, and Vogue, to name a few. Jason also played varsity basketball for four years at Columbia University, where he, and this is Heidi speaking, he and my husband, Alex, were fraternity brothers. Colleen graduated from Stanford University and spent 10 years working at Fortune 500 companies, including Gap, Walmart, and Amazon, which is where she was when I met them both circa 2009, before she transitioned to Mind Body Green full-time. 
While they used to be in Brooklyn, Colleen and Jason now live in Miami with their daughters, Ellie and Grace. They are the authors of The Joy of Wellbeing, a practical guide to a happy, healthy, long life. Fun fact, it is largely because of Jason and Colleen that I actually became a yoga teacher and got into wellness. Mind Body Green was the very first media outlet that I wrote for consistently. Needless to say, I am super pumped about our show today. Listen to today's show if you're overwhelmed by all the self-care advice out there and would like a research-based, streamlined version of what actually moves the needle. You're interested in living a happy, healthy, long life, and you'd like to become the CEO of your own well-being. Jason and Colleen, hi, I haven't seen you in so long. I am so excited to see you. Thank you for coming on our show. Well, it's great to see you and thanks so much for having us. It's been way too long. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay. Okay, so to give our listeners a little background, we all met, I couldn't believe this when I actually thought about it, (laughs) back in 2009 which is when Mind Body Green was brand spanking new. And I was doing my yoga teacher training and Jason, you were at a class that I was required to take because you were interviewing that studio's founder. And Colleen, you were there too, as was my husband, Alex, who I already mentioned in the intro is Jason's fraternity brother at Columbia. So it was like a really fun reunion, right? I mean- We were Dana Flynn at Laughing Lotus. It totally was. And then we all headed out for a vegan brunch at a restaurant that hasn't existed for so long. And we stayed there for hours talking because we just like really hit it off and had so much to talk about. And that chance encounter, I feel like led to so many things. And I feel like it's funny because that first day, I didn't know Mind Body Green was as new as it was until I actually read the opening of your book, The Joy of Wellbeing, where it actually says Mind Body Green was founded the year we met. I had no idea it was so new (laughs) because it was already like up and running and so amazing. So, okay, now that we have that background out of the way, I'm super excited to talk about The Joy of Wellbeing. While I was reading it, I feel like my head was nodding yes so hard over and over and over again. I'm really surprised it didn't fall off, honestly. So (laughs) specifically, like I talk a lot about how if you are ignoring your body, it'll cause your body to scream louder and louder and louder and louder. And I loved how you each told some personal stories in the book opener about how your bodies demanded that you listen. Because honestly, I think a lot of people would look at you both now and assume that you both have been clean and green and doing shots of wheatgrass and meditating since birth. Because look at you, let's be real. So I would love it if you could please talk a little bit about, and these are your words in the book, your quote, cosmic kicks in the butt, and how these led to starting Mind Body Green. So <laughs> while you have intimate direct knowledge via your husband that this was a new lifestyle for me, uh, in 2008 and nine, and my story, I, I went to Columbia, I played basketball there, I was in a fraternity. And fast forward to, to 2008 and nine, I was part of a startup and wasn't doing so hot. And I had two extruded discs in my lower back, pressing on my sciatic nerve, the, the famous L4, L5, S1. So I had excruciating sciatica on my right leg. I couldn't walk. It was terrible. Walking brings me joy. If I don't get 10,000 steps a day, I am a grumpy dinosaur, as my six-year-old would say. And it, and it was really tough. And I went to see a, a doctor and he said, you need back surgery. And I have nothing against surgery, but generally see it as a last resort. And especially with back surgery, the success rates aren't, aren't good. Tried some cortisol shots that didn't really do anything. So sought a second opinion. And, and that doctor said the same thing. He said, you need surgery. But 
you know, he, he then said, well, you know, maybe some yoga or therapy could help. And, you know, Colleen had a yoga practice at the time. And so I thought, okay, you know, I'll try a little light yoga in the morning and evening, you know, nothing crazy, five to 10 minutes. And I went from couldn't walk, couldn't walk to in six months, completely healed into this state. I've never had back surgery. And a lot of things changed for me at the time. Um, you know, one, one yoga became a huge part of my life. I started to look at stress, sleep, diet. I was a guy, my idea of a healthy diet was steak and martinis at the Palm Steakhouse in Midtown. Your husband, Alex, spent many time, many hours with me there. Uh, the diet was largely ribeyes and martinis. My face is in the wall there next to Adam Sandler and Joe Namath. That's the funniest part of that, I think. Every time I hear that story or read that, I'm like, that's that's bananas. It's insane. You could see how I was aging very quickly at age 27. You could see what I looked like. It was a lot of fun. But at any rate, uh, you know, not, I eat meat now, but you know, try to make sure it's grass fed and try to minimize it. And so through that experience, I, I, I just really, it really changed my life and thought that true well-being was this fundamental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being. And they were all connected. One word, my buddy green, the kind of the rest is history. Yeah. And I'll take that as my segue. I had one of those breakdown moments that eventually led to a breakthrough, but my hope in writing the joy of Bell well-being is that we don't all have to have those breakdown moments in our life before we start to change our lives. So I was living in New York, early 30s, kind of doing the you know stereotypical New York lifestyle, had a job, was very busy, was very active physically, would do sometimes two yoga classes in a day because that seemed like a good idea. One day I was leaving our mutual friend, Tara Stiles, 11 a.m. yoga class, which was my you know kind of metaphorical church at that moment in time. And I was walking around the West Village and I was like, Jason, I'm, I'm feeling a little out of breath. Could you come pick me up? Walked around for a bit and was like, I think I need to go home. So we took the A train home and this particular train has really steep subway steps by where we live. And I ended up collapsing on the subway steps and, and fell down, eventually got up, exited the station. It's like, that was weird. But then proceeded to gaslight everything that had just happened was like, I'm dehydrated. It's the first hot Saturday. Maybe I, I push myself too much in yoga. I called my doctor, but, you know, definitely downplayed my symptoms. And he's like, okay, if it happens again, you know, go to the hospital. So I did things completely out of character the next two days of the weekend. I napped, I slept, I was just lethargic, like not how I spent a typical, beautiful weekend in New York City. So on Monday, I was working at Amazon at the time. And Jason was like, the only way you can go to work is if you stop at your doctor in Soho on the way. So I stalked up my doctor and, you know, within a couple of minutes of hearing my story, he was like, I'm pretty sure you're having a pulmonary embolism. And the words were so confusing to me. I was so, so confused and perplexed. He gave me a little sign that said, I'm having a pulmonary embolism. And this was, you know, pre Uber everywhere. So I hopped in a yellow cab and went to NYU. And it was unclear if he didn't think I'd be able to articulate what was happening or if he was worried that if something happened on the way to the hospital, people would need to know what was happening. But I got to NYU ER and basically had showers of clots in my lungs and was very fortunate to catch it when I did because pulmonary embolisms can be very catastrophic. And the process of working out the clots is a long one. You're, you're given medication to help work through the blood clots, but you're essentially living with this invisible illness where it's, you know, the first time in my life that I really thought about breath. I remember, you know, being on the subway and seeing an older woman and maybe there was only one spot left and kind of trying to avoid eye contact with her because I looked very healthy on the outside and no one would know, you know, that I really needed a seat. 
to be able to breathe. And when a 32-year-old woman has, you know, something so near catastrophic happen, they do a battery of tests. I did a lot of the tests that you, know, you probably did, you know, when you were pregnant. And I don't have genetic predisposition to clotting, which is really interesting, but there's definitely something with my body and clotting and likely the birth control pill that is not a good fit. I ended up writing an article about it for Mind Body Green, which at the time went very viral. And I heard from so many women who had sisters, friends, cousins who had had similar experiences, some of them ending, you know, very tragically. Wow. Colleen, this is Jamie. I thank you for sharing that. That is a wild story. And I think what it really also indicates is just how we need to be tuned into our own bodies. Also, how scary it can be because things are very hard to diagnose. And especially today, there's so much misinformation out there. And with Dr. Google, I feel like we can all get really confused, overwhelmed, and scared. Now, this kind of leads me to a question that kind of dovetails into the whole formation of Mind Body Green. And that is, to be honest, this is why Heidi and I started off the gram. When we started, I'll just give you the two-second backstory. We started off the gram because we felt like there were so many people out there on the gram sharing essentially misinformation, right? Like essentially there were these young girls that were like 21, 22 years old. And they were health influencers because they could take a pretty picture of an acai bowl. And we were like, well, I don't know how that makes you an expert on health. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always like to say that they were expert self-marketers that like to sell themselves as experts. You should have Derek Barry's on the show. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And we saw it as very problematic and scary. And we just thought there was so much conflicting information out there as it results, I mean, as it relates to our well-being. And I think when when sources like Mind Body Green kind of came to be, it was like bringing journalistic integrity and experts back to a platform that was centralized that we could trust. So I want to ask you guys the question, as a consumer, as a person, how does one filter through it all? And I really kind of mean like, trends, things that are kind of out there that stick out in your mind is especially damaging. I mean, Heidi and I were just talking about something last night where we saw an influencer online. This terrified us. She had done a home birth. I'm not going to call out who she is and I have nothing against home birth, but she said patently that free births with no medical intervention uh, on site are inherently safe. Babies could die because of that statement. Like she's just, that's not necessarily She has correct, millions right? Like of my followers. baby would not be here. Yeah, she has millions of followers. My baby would not Same. be here if I had listened yeah. to something like that. Same with my twins. So, <laughs> right. So there's all these people out there. There's all these trends. There's all this misinformation. And you as curators of expert information, can you give us a little bit of advice on how to filter through it all? And, and what, you know, is there anything that sticks out in your mind is especially damaging that you're seeing out there right now? I think we believe in, in education and empowerment and this idea of becoming the CEO of your own health and becoming informed. And I think part of that is understanding the way algorithms work, which. Yes. And so here, the, the, one of the one of the whys behind the book is the problem with algorithms. You know, we're in information overload. On one hand, information is beautiful. It's empowering and there's so much of it. On the other hand, it's confusing. And there's a big problem with algorithms. UPenn, the Wharton School, did a study of the most viral articles on the New York Times. They looked at the most emailed list and they classified the articles by emotion to see if there were any patterns. And indeed there were. The top three emotions were anxiety, awe, and anger. What was number one? Anger. Anger increased virality by 34%. In other words, if someone read an article and that article caused someone to become angry, that article was more likely to be read, shared, watched, or listened to. 
that's the New York Times. I don't think the New York Times is unique here. I think this is the way algorithms work. And it's really unfortunate. If you want to build a personal brand today, I would I would say, you know, pick a strong position, don't back away from it and criticize everyone else. And that's unfortunate, but that's that's a reality. I hate that so much, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. It's tidy talking for everyone who can't see us. I just I part of succeeding can be trying to tear down others. It just it doesn't it, sit it, right, but I understand I, that it works. Tribalism tribalism works we know we've seen it play in the political spectrum and i think you see it play in nutrition and, and look and there's a harvard study that shows that as people have moved away from organized religion they're taking that same tribalism and fervor into their well-being practices now that can be good when you know people are really excited about working out together about eating healthy and you know being those accountability partners but it can also go really wrong when it becomes their identity when they you know refuse to evolve and can't engage in dialogue about other points of view and that's where it gets a little scary you mentioned we have a mutual friend and she's the woman who introduced us uh well i mean i guess alex introduced us you introduced me to tara is what i meant to say tara styles i mentioned before you guys came on that you are largely the reason that i'm in yoga and well-being oh. wellness at all um so thanks guys tara used to talk all the time about you know beware of like the guru right? Because you should be your own guru. And I feel like that's kind of what you were alluding to with this whole spirituality element of wellness. Like, be careful of one person telling you everything to do, especially if they're saying something is patently right or wrong, and there's no wiggle room, right? Yeah. And, and look, I understand how that happens. You know, if you're struggling with something, you know, I'll use, for example, autoimmune, there are a lot of people who suffer from autoimmune, and then they embrace a certain diet, and that diet works for them. And it's amazing. They went from being shunned by the medical establishment to feeling terrible, to all of a sudden, like feeling great, and that becomes their their identity. And when you challenge the diet, it challenges who someone is. And I kind of understand I'm empathetic how we get there with nutrition. But you just need to be careful. And again, I, I think most people are smart. And this we believe in education. You know, education is an empowerment and, you know, take the good and also dismiss the bad. No one's perfect. Everyone's human. Everyone has their own point of view. Everyone has their blind spots. And just be, be what we say is if you're going to be rigid, be rigid about being flexible. Make sure that you're always, you know, this is a journey. And we've seen this. What works in your 20s and probably change in your 30s, 40s and so on. So just be flexible in the journey and be open and curious and empathetic when engaging online. I love that. And I wanted to circle back a little bit to what Jamie asked about um, sort of like how you sift through it all, right? And yes, you have to listen to yourself. I have a lot of opinions on that. I'm not going to go there. Um, but, you know, I'd be curious your current process for sort of cultivating experts for Mind Body Green because I loved when I read in your book that, and this is your quote, influencers have hijacked the concept of self-care, end quote. Because there was a time where the idea of fitting it all in like super stressed me out. And the irony of that was never lost on me. I mean, there was a time when wellness was in its heyday thanks to the gram and mm -hmm. a person was expected to do like 9 million things. I was told at different intervals of my life that in order to be well, I had to do pre-sunrise meditation, lemon water on waking every day, and then it was lime water, followed by juicing, neti pot, matcha not coffee, don't forget your pages, gratitude, regular massages, sauna, steam, cook your own organic everything, grind your own masala according to your dosha, blend smoothies, all the adaptogens, do the sound bath, chakra alignments, reiki, acupuncture, 90 minutes of yoga per day. I mean, it's like it's only 9 a.m. It's just the morning. Right? 
right? That's before your whole day. And it's like, listen, I love yoga. Yoga is my life. And I created an entire style of yoga to make it more time efficient because there are so many pulls on our time to practice all these prescribed self-care things that so many people feel like they can't fit in any yoga. And I can't tell you how many yoga studios have reached out to me to create shorter and shorter and shorter yoga classes. It's it's bananas. And I feel like there was this like real, there was a moment, I feel like in the 10s for fast wellness, right? Like where everything was shorter and quicker and like Soul Cycle was the model because it was 45 and you were in and out. And that's when yoga studios were like, hey, Heidi, can you make a class 55 minutes? And I'm like, what? And then it was 45 and then 35 and it's, it's, it gets to be a lot. And, you know, yeah. for all I know, there are parts of the world that are still in this fast wellness mindset. It's, yeah, I don't know. But when we started off the gram, we did talk a lot about self-care being more than the girl holding the matcha latte in front of the pink wall and the perfectly placed plant or the newly pedicured toes poking out from the perfectly swirled multicolored bubble bath, you know, like, <laughs> so I really want to hear from you because our listeners have heard a lot from us, what we think about this, but I want to know why you guys think that influencers hijacked the concept of self-care. I mean, you just, you just explained it pretty eloquently and <laughs> I, we have such complicated relationships with the word wellness and the world self-care because of the way in which they become represented on platforms like Instagram and like TikTok. And it assumes that we all have these abundant resources of time and money and seemingly no responsibilities, whether it's job, families, friends, et cetera, you know, to get it all done. And when you think of, you know, the things that are actually going to deliver an ROI and move the needle for you, it's often things that don't look good on Instagram, things like having boundaries, maybe getting some therapy, you know, having hard conversations, hard conversations with yourself, taking time to think through what are your life values, um, creating a personal mission statement, and am I living up to all this? None of these things are sexy enough um, to deliver the type of engagement that you want. So while I fully believe in the concept of self-care, the way it's done on social media just, you know, makes no sense. And I think at the life stage where that we are at as two parents, two entrepreneurs, we're all about integration. Like our routines are so simple and integrated because that's the only way we'll know to actually get it done. But I think so much of the wellness conversation has been about adding and look at the major objections, as Colleen pointed out, is, is time and resources. And we totally get like we feel this way and we're this is our life and, and business. And it truly is about integration and it's about finding joy because when push comes to shove, when you've got commitments, if something doesn't bring you joy and it doesn't fit into your life, you're going to lose it. And we've got a problem here. National Quitters Day, I think, was January 13th. And that's the day when most people quit the gym. We make it 13 days. It's because we create unrealistic expectations. We embrace practices or protocols that we don't really enjoy and don't fit into our lifestyle. So I think it's time we've had an honest conversation. What do we enjoy to do? What what really fits into my life? Like, this is my work. This is my family. Where do I have the time? And what's amazing about where we sit in 2023 is so much of the longevity science points to practices, protocols, and modalities that require little time, effort, or resources. So we shouldn't be listening to the bro biohackers who say, get up at 3.37, ice plunge for 13 minutes, then do 75 minutes of cardio, and then two hours of lifting. It's like, that seems, here's the thing. Every time I set up a morning routine based on something I've heard on a podcast like that, it's so unattainable that I end up telling, and I'm a 
fitness and wellness influencer for a living, I end up being the person who says, oh, okay, I'll start it tomorrow. Oops, I screwed up today. I'll start it tomorrow, 75 times in a row to a point where finally I had to make it a little more simple. So can I ask you two, do you have like a morning routine? What do you do to start your day in the most aligned way? Well, you pointed on the whole reason why we didn't call our book The Joy of Wellness, and we actually called it The Joy of Wellbeing, because we think wellness has become this conversation of rigidity and restriction, which so many of the biohacking bros who all seem to be based in Malibu, not all of them. I love that term. (laughs) Malibu bros have, have really kind of coined that rigidity and restriction around a typical type of morning routine. And on the other, you know, extreme there's what we call Kardashian wellness, which is a lot of the stuff that Heidi alluded to, where you're like, how do you have the time and money to do all of this, to try these things that haven't been vetted, um, that may or may not render results, that if it brings you joy, fantastic, do it. But I think the problem becomes when people see social cloud as a ROI justification for doing something, even if, if it doesn't really work. So our routines are the most ridiculously simple routines, a lot of it predicated by the fact that school here in Miami starts really early. We have to get our kids to school by 8 a.m., which means there is not a very significant morning routine. We'll open our um, apartment doors, get in sunlight, really try to wake the girls up before we get to school, but that is a mad scramble. And the parts of our day that we are really thoughtful about is really integrating walking into our routine. It's the most underrated part of what we can do. So if that means once we're back from drop-off, walking to work, walking to the gym, whatever I can do to kind of get in walking. And then I've had to be extraordinarily thoughtful about making this shift in my own personal diet to get in enough protein. So getting in 30 grams of protein at ideally every meal, which does not come naturally to me by any way, shape or form, but that's like a really intentional, thoughtful way for me to start the day and leave the house. You guys have mentioned the word joy a lot. And I I just wanted to like circle in on that because I've heard you talk about a term called joy span as opposed to lifespan. And I personally had never heard the term before, so I don't know if you invented it, but I'm obsessed with we it. Did. So, <laughs> please, oh, yay. I love wow. that. I'm like, I don't know. Is it some word that I just don't know about or is it really? Yes. I love that you invented it. Okay. So what does it mean? Can you tell us all, please? Well, I think the, the 1.0 was lifespan, and that's ex- essentially extending the years you have on this planet without regard for quality of those years. You know, that could be living to 100, but the last 30 years you're in a wheelchair and, and visiting numerous doctors and in and out of hospitals and lots of medication. I don't think that would bring a lot of people joy. And the 2.0 is health span, this idea of expend- extending those healthy years. So theoretically, you know, being fit and active for 99 years, 11, 11 months, 30 days, and then, you know, pass- passing away overnight or rapidly declining. And, and, and so it's like the, the quality. And we like joy span because... What's the point of living to 100 if you know you don't have friends, if you don't have family, if you're not having a good time? And to us, it, that's what really speaks to the quality of life. It's great to be healthy and fit and looking, looking good in the mirror, but if you don't have quality relationships, if you're not having fun, what's the point? And I think the science also clearly states that you know being socially connected, being in you know a loving relationship, if that's what you choose, having friends, strong social connections are, are paramount. And, and that's really, I think, one of the most underrated keys to living living a long, happy, healthy in life. 
I read the uh, Harvard did, I think it was the longest study on happiness, the 85 year yeah. study that they did. And uh, one of the things that they found, of course, was that key to happiness over IQ or wealth or fame or anything were relationships. So we keep hearing more and more about that concept, that interpersonal connections and relationships are vital to our actual physical health even as well. Can you tell us a little more about that? So th this was, you know, a big one for us. And I think it's something we don't talk enough about. And in doing the research from the book, you know, we stumbled across a study called the Rosetto study, which I just like fell in love with. And Rosetto was this small town in rural Pennsylvania in the 1950s. And this is when heart disease arrives in America, except in Rosetto. So everybody, they say, well, what's going on, going on in Rosetto? What are these people doing in terms of nutrition, exercise? Well, you know, not that much. And what's so interesting about the heart disease, like, okay, heart disease is here, but like heart attacks to like quantify it in people over 65 was half that of the nation. Under 55, men under 55, zero, no heart disease. So what are they doing? Are they doing CrossFit? Are they NAD injection? They're not doing any of that. They're smoking, they're drinking, they're eating lots of pasta and meatballs. This makes no sense. And then they they looked further. They had the most unbelievably strong social connections. All of the, the celebrating was in the context of, you know, celebrating with neighbors and friends and family. There was parades, multi-generational living was common. These were like the happiest, most socially connected people on earth. They were knocking on their neighbors' doors. And so that's amazing until the 1960s when the community starts to break up, people move away and guess what? Heart disease catches up with the rest of the nation. And I think you know, where we sit today, you know, we're facing a loneliness epidemic. We know it's terrible for our longevity. There was a study of B out of BYU that suggested that being lonely is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Being lonely in terms of early mortality risk is twice as worse as having six drinks a day. That's 42 drinks a week. Oh my gosh. I had heard the cigarette one. I hadn't heard the drink one. 42 drinks a week. So <laughs> I'll yeah. just top there. I mean, that's just, it's bananas. And I feel like this study was like pre-pandemic, right? And all the numbers that were associated. Yeah. So it's like, and then you have this pandemic and then everybody's working from home and everybody's remote and then nobody sees each other and everybody's texting instead of even picking up the phone and hearing a voice. And how does somebody get out of that cycle of loneliness? Yeah. And there's not to add to this, you know, sad data, but prior to 2019 Signet study that only 50% of Americans were having meaningful IRL connections and prior prior to the prior to the pandemic. So the situation is is only, you know, getting scarier. Gratefully, there is, you know, more awareness around it. You know, Jason and I want to make a movement around having more connection influencers because we really have taken the skills away from even like, you know, youth and others in terms of how to interact and how to have meaningful friendships. Like I'm inspired by the fact that there was a recent Wall Street Journal article around the fact that women are realizing this importance and creating intentionality around scheduling IRL dates. So putting it into their calendar the same way they would going to work, getting a haircut, going to the doctor because it is so vital. And, and we know that having meaningful IRL interaction with someone is not is so much more valuable and has such a different impact on the brain than getting a text message that says, I love you, I'm worried about you. It's such a different impact when it's received via text than when there's a loving embrace or gesture or just eye contact made. So I think at least now we're in the awareness stage of there's a problem and, and we need to change how we live and how we interact and, and how we maintain and cultivate our friendships. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I actually just shared about this. I had read the loneliness epidemic was being spurred on by things like self-checkout. 
because we're we're not having those smaller everyday connections with say a checkout clerk. And uh, I was just giving a keynote in Salt Lake City and I actually built this into my talk. I said, in the Netherlands, they have something called a Kletzkasse and it's a chat checkout. And they have it in a grocery store called Jumbo. They they started it and it was so successful. They rolled it out in 200 more stores. And it's a checkout lane. It was made specifically for seniors because they tend to be the loneliest, right? They tend to go to the market. That's their one outing. And they were missing all of a sudden. Now they had no interaction with anyone. And so they created a checkout line just for them. I think the fact that the UK has a minister of loneliness is, as a government role says a lot, but I don't know that we're doing enough in the United States. So hopefully just having these conversations could be a good start. What do you think? A step in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Our young people need to listen face to face. Speak eye contact. I actually make a really big deal of my kids making eye contact with people that they speak yeah. to, like especially when they're like, thank you, Mrs. So-and-so. I'm like, look her in the eye and say it again. Yeah. They'll just like look to the ground or look to the side. It's just, I get it's intimidating because they're bigger, but I think it's a good practice. Okay. So we've talked about all this and we obviously have 9 million questions for you, but I think a big question that could be very helpful to our listeners is, why did you write The Joy of Well-Being? Because you have Mind Body Green. It has all the info, right? You've all the experts, all the things. So why write The Joy of Well-Being? I think it was a couple of reasons. One, the aforementioned stat on how anger plays in media. We thought that you know our, our book was pretty balanced, well-researched. So it, it felt like this was the place, like in a physical sense, to put words to paper where people would actually enjoy it versus putting this on social media probably wouldn't get a lot of airtime. And so that was one reason. And, and then you know, what I said, said earlier about longevity and, and health span and joy span, we did want to shift the conversation because wellness has become out of reach for so many. And so much of the great science, again, the, the biggest objection is I don't have the time and I don't have the resources. And we started to feel that way. And we're in this space. And so much of the science points to these practices, protocols, and modalities that, that require very little time and effort and very little resources, if any. And we thought like, look, people are overwhelmed. We totally get it. And let's just like take the core principles that we think we can get you like 80% of the way there. And that's going to be pretty darn good for most people. If you want to get to 100%, have at it. I'm one of those people. I like the fun stuff. I've got the whoop. I've got the aura. We sleep on an eight sleep mattress. You know, We have a supplement line. Like I'm into all of that. But that's really not for most people. And the truth is, these practices can get you 80% there. And that's going to be really good for most people. Yeah, we're just at a fascinating inflection point. There's never been more wellness in the world. It continues to grow at like 5% a year. But when you look at all of the tangible metrics on how we're doing as a society, whether it's mental health, whether it's physical health, clearly something's getting wrong with all of this good intentions. And we just want to refocus on the things that are going to move the needle and help people cultivate a life of greater joy and, and greater health. Love that. I think that's a perfect segue as we try to demystify and unoverwhelm into our last segment, which is called Karma Call. And then I hand it to Heidi. <laughs> Thanks for singing, James. So as you guys know, but maybe somebody tuning in for the first time doesn't, karma is the Sanskrit word for action. 
So we ask all of our amazing, inspiring guests, that is you today, yay. What is one small actionable item that our listeners could take for a short period of time that would yield a large result? So small action, big result. We're probably both. Jason's chomping at the bit here. We're probably both <laughs> chomping at the bit to say the biggest thing, which has been a game changer for ourselves and for our daughters, which is nostril breathing. Um, you breathe 17,000 to 30,000 times a day. So if you are looking for a way to have an impact, like this is such an important place to start. So more than half the population is breathing all wrong. They're breathing through their, their, their mouths. And breathing through your nose has so many great you know, health benefits as it comes to sleep, as it comes to filtration and immune response. The biggest thing for me has really been around the parasympathetic nervous system. So when you're nostril breathing, you're automatically activating your rest and digest system. And what I love about nostril breathing is you can actually deploy it in the moment. Stressful conversation, hear bad news, start breathing in through your nose. There's a lot of other amazing techniques out there, but some of them require like 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at, at night. And I love things that you can actually activate in real time, 17,000 to 30,000 times a day. Yeah. Time and resources. You're doing it anyway. If you're not, you're going to die. You have to breathe. You literally have to do it. All humans can do a better job of closing their mouth. <laughs> conversations. So, you know, tell your husband, tell your, I think, I think it's just generally a good practice to try to keep the mouth closed as much as possible. Amen. My friends. Thank you. I said it better myself. Thank you guys so much. Hey, uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with all the places they can find you, where can we direct them to find you and the book? Sure. So the book is at thejoyofwellbeing.com and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all major booksellers. And then personally, we're on Instagram at Colleen Wachab, at Jason Wachab, and then mybuddygreen.com and at mybuddygreen across all platforms and, uh, and our podcast as well. Which is the Mind Body Green podcast. Yeah. The Mind Body Green podcast. We are forever stands of all things Mind Body Green, and we appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in at home. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time.